Hello, and welcome to Wise Children's Detention with me, Emma Rice. It's Sunday afternoon, and we're all in a daze of exhaustion and excitement. Since last Sunday's podcast, we've loaded into the passenger shed, raised the truss, built the set, and all the technical equipment has been installed. A wardrobe and laundry have been created, and dressing rooms and a green room conjured out of furniture begged, borrowed and hired. Everything and everybody has been put through its paces. Images have been keystoned, gym slips steamed, lighting focused and sound checked. We've rehearsed with cast on the set, dangled them from harnesses and added in all the technical elements. We've also built a bar, a box office and a whole front of house environment for the audience, including chalkboards and hopscotch, both of which are proving very popular. On Friday, yes, Friday, the day before yesterday, we finally opened our show and our venue to the public for the very first time. They say a lot happens in Love Island during a week. They should try hanging out with my team. At the start of the week, everyone is incredibly busy with their jobs. Everyone apart from me, that is. I can't rehearse because the cast are on a well-earned day off. So instead, I decide to bother everyone with my fluffy mic. Now, the thing to remember when you listen to these interviews is that I am literally stopping these people from doing what they're supposed to be doing. Let's start with Les Brotherston, the show's set we and costume designer. We are sat in the passenger shed. We've done fit-up. What does fit-up mean? Fit-up means when we move the set from the workshops where they've been built and we build it in the space where the show's going to happen. So the space has been fitted up, so we've got a set, we've got lights, but we yep. haven't got any actors yet, have we? No, no. They arrive early, later today. They come yep. in at lunchtime and then we'll do a walk around so that they can figure out what the set's like and then we'll do some, some crazy kind of health and safety Stuff where we dangle actors <laughs> off the end of a rope and see if they like it or if they don't like it. Uh, and I, without answering that immediately, the thing that is, having seen the model, having rehearsed the show, having really intimately known what this design is, the thing that is overwhelming is how big it is. Well, it is. It feels big in this space. I think it probably won't feel so big when we go into a theatre space, but this, I mean, it's quite dominant in, in, this, in this passenger shed. But, you're right. I mean, it just it works, and it's going to work in theatres. But it, this is not a, a cosy country school, is it? No, no. It's it's a fairly epic school. But Mallory Towers was. It was. A, it looked in all the illustrations in the books. It looks like a Norman castle. So the idea of doing it in cosy little rooms doesn't seem to suit the books at all. I think Enid Blyton was writing about something which was epic and grand and exciting and daunting and and thrilling. And I think you've got that status is that you've given it a status that I think um, the books and the girls in this show really um, demand. Well, it's great, and, and the passenger shed itself is such an imposing, imposing place. You've kind of got to slightly rival, rival the building that we're in. You've got well, to kind of pull focus from the building to the stage and the actors. And one of the ways you've done that, though, is to actually use the lines, the Isambard Kingdom Brunel lines of the passenger shed, yeah, yeah, we've and echoed, mirror those. We've echoed the shape of the ceiling in the set. It's the starting point for the design of the set. So the Mallory Towers is the shape of the passenger shed. Um, and indeed, the towers of Mallory Towers echo the towers outside, which are part of the architecture of the building, too. You're very clever. Uh, 
yes, you or are. Or I just steal yes, things from Brunel. So, <laughs> so I've worked with Les for many, many years now, and um, he never congratulates himself. Well, so I'm going to do it now. It's always tricky, isn't it? It's oh. always... It's, if you get 90% of what's in your head on stage, you're happy, but you never get 100%. Oh, but, you can always do better. But meanwhile, everybody's walking into the space and going, wow, aren't they? It's getting a fantastic reaction. I know, but I think, I think what will really make it come alive is when it's used for what it's designed for, because ultimately what I've designed is not really a room. It's a projection canvas for Simon to kind of work his magic with, with all of his with projections and, and his animations. It's more than that, isn't it? Because I also, one of the things I love about it is you've, it's like a playground as well as a school and you've woven in some really detailed bits of childhood. So there's really detailed banisters and steps and beds and bunks, but there's also um, like gym climbing bars at the side. Yeah. Well, I've, I mean, having worked with you for a long time, I think the best way to serve you is to try and give you a playground which you can play on because I know if I get if I try to be too prescriptive and I try to try to dictate what you do then why am I working with you I have to give you a I space don't like it, do I? you don't like it <laughs> and also but it's fun to give you a space and then you go oh and then can I do this and then can I do that and then can I do this with it you know I, I'd have never thought of, of having tiny tiny little Mary Lou climb right across the top of the set and hang off it precariously had it not been for you you that's your idea and it's brilliant I cannot wait. I mean, we've been in rehearsals because we've seen, we know what the design is, we know what the idea is, we're all saying, and this is the bit where we walk across the set, and now I'm looking at it, how many metres high is it? That's probably, well, it's, it's, it's lower than you think because to the, to, the, to the main deck of the stage, it's maybe two, three, four metres to the very pinnacle. It's but amazing. Then the stage is a meter higher it's than the floor, than and it's and it's thirty another thirty centimeters. So we're up to about six meters by the time we get to that point from the building floor. It's awesome. But it's I mean what I'm what I'm enjoying actually is the relationship of the top level to the audience. Actually raising them up that high really brings them into focus, and it means you're not looking at people through other people's heads. That yeah. It really does present them in a You've way You've literally them. elevated them, which is sort of what I've been trying to do as well, is make them into this sort of set of seven goddesses. I know, I'm looking forward to seeing them play on it and, and maybe come up with more ideas about what we can do. I don't think we've plotted using up the gym bars, but maybe there's a moment when we'll think that's quite fun because you've never had them, so you didn't know what you could do with them. Yeah, there's no way a group of actors aren't going to see those gym bars and climb up them. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're going to get used. And um, what's your favourite bit of the process? My favourite bit of the process is when you've got an idea that you think will work and then you work on it. There's that horrible bit when you don't know what to do at the beginning when you're just floundering around and, and it can be anything in your head and what I'm describing to you it can be anything in your head too and it's wondering whether the two things we've got in our heads ever match and then finally when I do put something into 3D in a white card model or something and then you like it and then you encourage me then that's the best bit because that's when you can fly with it. Scary bits, just having having to come up with something. I've never known you not have an idea, and I've never known you not have a brilliantly perfect idea. Oh, that's kind, but I mean, yeah, it happens all the time. You sit there worrying by yourself. I suppose that's the invisible bit. That's the, that's bit the that scary I bit. See. That's the scary yeah. bit. Where you sit, read, you know, you. I, I read the Mallory Towers books. I I read the script. I go away. I fret about it. I kind of don't quite know how to do it. <laughs> and then I came to the passenger shed, and once I came to the passenger shed, I, I figured out we might do a, a a wall that echoed the shape, and then that's that's the way in. I'm so excited. This is, well, I don't know. I've got
got lots of favourite bits of the process, but I honestly woke up yesterday and said it feels like Christmas. <laughs> Tragic, isn't it? I, but I was so excited, and now I'm just wishing... See, I'm very impatient at this bit, because this is where all the technical teams are pulling everything together, and I just can't wait I know, to get the this actors. is my worst bit. This is my worst bit. This is when everybody sees what I've been doing for the last two months. And who knows if they're going to like it or hate it or whatever. So it's every time another costume comes out, every time another prop comes out, every time I'm waiting to be told it's wrong. Oh, <laughs> so yes. And then, then once I've done that, it's fine. Then I can work on it. It's amazing. And the thing I haven't seen yet is there's two little flags with Mallory Towers on that, uh, that pop up, and I haven't seen them work yet. So that's what I'm looking forward yesterday, to. Because yesterday they didn't. They popped up, and they immediately fell down the other way. That was quite <laughs> a comedy moment, but it won't do that today. Marvellous. Thank you very much, Les. Pleasure. Simon Baker is literally halfway through the sound check. Um, I, I don't know how much time him. we've got on this podcast, but what is your job here? I'm the sound designer and the video designer for the production. Tell me about where you're at in the process. Well, the reason you can hear lots of hoovering and drilling is because, of course, we're sound checking, <laughs> which is the traditional time when people like to make as much noise as possible to cover the sound of the music. Um, and right now... I can sense some bitterness in your voice. <laughs> only a little bit. <laughs> It's one of those things. I just think my life's constantly underscored by people drilling and hoovering whenever I want them to be quiet. You've but never heard me hoovering while you're trying to make me be quiet. That is true. Um, but no, we're doing OK. The thing is, if we, we've all been doing this long enough to know that if I start moaning about people hoovering and drilling, everybody will stop and go on a lovely break, but then we won't be ready for this afternoon. So we just have to breathe deep and hope it's all going to be OK. And right now, Jay Jones is at the console and Ian Ross is on the drum kit and we're just quickly sound checking the drums. But you're not just doing the sound this time, are you? You're doing the animation. I've got the animation the video projections to deal with as well, yeah. So How have you found that? Because this is a new venture for you. Completely new. Um, it's okay. I mean, the thing is, is that I, I don't know, we'll see today. We've applied the kind of same theory of how you make a sound effect to how you might make video content. So we'll see whether my theory comes good later on. And you've shared the contacts, haven't you, with um, Beth Carter and Stuart Mitchell, who did the animation for Wise Children? Yeah, we work with them. So they've done the the play within a play, the Midsummer Night's Dream part at Mallory Towers. Um, and their work's beautiful. They were in earlier, I remember, a couple of days ago, and they've dropped that off. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm looking forward to seeing all of it and on the massive Les Brotherston set. So it's going to be great. And, and the work you've done is uh, a bit more about setting the location. And you've done some extraordinary stuff, um, um, suggesting the train journey and the cliffs. How did you do it? It looks like a line drawing. It looks like a, a, a hand-drawn illustration. Well, because it's us and because it's me, obviously we cheated quite a lot. So we um, looked around for lots of static images and uh, lots of moving images, stop-moving images of the footage we wanted. Clearly, we couldn't go out and record a big drone shot of a steam train leaving London. So we hunted around, um, found that footage we wanted. We've then treated it, slowed it right down, made it look a bit scratchy, a bit um, black and white movie. And then we applied another texture over the top, which so it looks hand-drawn. Um, so it's taken a long time. I've had to learn lots of new skills uh, and lots of new bits of software. But I think we've got there. I think the content looks as sharp as we can make it at the moment. So it looks amazing. I think it's good. I think it's really good. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the company interact on the train journey with it today, just to see whether we've got the scale of it all right. But I think it's good. I can't wait. I just, you know I can't. I'm like buzzing, aren't I? I'm just, <laughs> just want it to all I've happen. just had a ginger shot as well, so I'm buzzing even more. Uh-oh. But no, we're good. We're in a really good 
place. It's looking excellent, actually. Um, and really exciting now, so yeah, we're going to be good. Thank you. You're welcome. Here's me interrupting a plotting session with lighting programmer I'm dreading Vic the moment Brennan. I come up to you with my mic. I'm dreading and slightly relishing the fact, because I've been listening to all of them and it feels very odd being here now rather than listening to it in my ear. Here you are. I know. Tell me a bit about your job, because I have to say, we've worked together for many, many years yeah. and I'm still, it's a little bit of a mystery your job tell me about it uh i like to keep it a mystery maybe that's why <laughs> um i am uh in charge of making what malcolm Ripper, the lighting designer has in his head appear on the stage through a computer that i have in front of me that sort of looks like a typewriter um and from that i can talk to all the individual pieces of the rig and tell them for some of them where to be on the stage, where to point. I can tell all of them how bright to be. I can tell some of them what colour to be. Some of them I can put a pattern into. Um, and then we recorded them into uh, things that uh, will hold the information. So a preset if it's a moving light and then a cue as an overall thing and then a show file. And then each evening, Helen, the DSM, will tell the operator where to be and they hit a go button and everything changes from night to night. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> so tell me, um, does, a, does a lighting designer always have a programmer? Not always, but often. The technology has got more complicated in the last 15 years, 20 years or so. I've been doing it for 15 years and it's become much more common to have a programmer because there are so many different elements to a lighting rig. Um, and is that an improvement? Because I remember the old days where you just put up a few fresnels and had a simple up button. Has the technology definitely improved lighting? I think it has improved the versatility and I think it makes it easier for creative teams. They can immediately affect change on a stage. You don't have to wait and get ladders out to refocus and change the colour of things. We can do it all from one central location, which means we can play with ideas in a much more immediate way than I think was possible 20 years ago, which can be brilliant and can also be annoying because I think you've almost got too many toys to play with. Oh, so it's hard to sit up one decision. But the speed you work at, mentally, visually and with with your fingers is really something to behold you know I mean you work at a really high it's like landing planes up here yeah well it's quite it's really exciting because that's how fast a designer's brain works to be able to in real time make all of that happen on a stage and for them to be able to work out if that's a good idea or a bad idea and particularly for a lighting designer they're the people who make all of their mistakes in front of everybody else so is that a key, the relationship between lighting designer and you, is that a key relationship? I think so. I think it becomes a bit of a... You sort of become part of the design process because you can have conversations about what the rig is capable of, what you know you can make happen, which a lighting designer might not be thinking about. They're mainly often thinking about the overall look of it rather than how we get sometimes from one place to another or what other options we have available so it is really important to be able to have that conversation and a bit of trust that as a programmer you're happy to volunteer something and Malcolm's really good at uh, giving permission to suggest and play and have ideas around it. understand his aesthetic by now. Yeah yeah I do and I, I could do a lighter like 
<laughs> I could make up some Malcolm Rifford lighting, but I don't, and I find it fascinating. I think it's like alchemy, watching a lighting designer work. I don't know how they read a thing on a page or watch a rehearsal and know that they need that light in pink. I just think that's a phenomenal gift that I don't have, but I love that I can be part of a slightly more removed part of that process where I can make it happen. I feel that you're like an interpreter, almost like yeah, a sign yeah, interpreter. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really nice way of putting it. That you're uh, really speedily yeah. taking that information and finding a way of translating it. I work with another line designer who describes it as like an editor in film, oh, so you yeah. can kind of take out the bits that aren't working. Thelma Schumacher. Oh, nice, nice, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> powerful women. And how many years have you been working with Malcolm? About 12, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a, long, on, a long time. And he's an absolute treat to work with, and what he makes on stage is so beautiful. Like, it stops me in my tracks. And every now and again, I have to sit back and go, man. And particularly on this show, like, a week ago, there wasn't even a theatre here. And by Thursday night, there'll be people watching it. That is mind-blowing to me. Theatre magic, as yeah, I like to call it. it really is. I love it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Vic. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Kath Bates, our production manager, is sticking white gaffer tape to the offstage stairs when I catch up oh, with no, her. Not no. <laughs> Please not no. But it's the best bit. If no. I come and introduce, if I talk to you when you're busy, it's best. Um, we've met is that you before. On? Yeah, of course it is. Who are you? What's your job? I'm, Kath. I'm production manager for Wise Children. Yeah. So Kath Bates, if you'd listened to the previous set of podcasts, we met Kath. What's that sound? A gaffer. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> Making the set safe, trying to before the actors come on. So what's hilariously funny is Kath has literally created a venue and a set and is now just putting down some tape. <laughs> so it's the smallest job you've probably done for it is, months. And, and I think it's an anxiety thing. I do, I do tend to do sweeping and gaffer at this point. Uh, as a sort of calming exercise, I think. It's looking amazing. It is. I'm really, really proud. I can't quite believe it, to be honest. You should be. It's been the most it's epic week, project. Isn't it? It's a week. Yeah. A week yeah. and we've got it. And no, the venue's beautiful. looking amazing. It's and the set. very, very wonderful. I have. We'll talk about anxiety for a bit. Yeah, Both exactly, Kath and yeah. I share an anxiety that there will be a death experience. <laughs> Don't say that. Well, I, I feel that if I did, we say it. I did, and I have for the last six months. What's good news is I don't now. Now it's real and physically here, and I can check it, and it's in my control, not the control of others. I feel okay. But it's worth... I mean, I, I'm saying it to love because it's sort of... It's, yeah. it's like childhood fears, but it's actually real. You're creating yeah, yeah, an environment absolutely. that people have to work on. Have to work on and be in and public and and be responsible for. Yeah. It's yeah. huge, It Kat. is quite huge. I want to say, how do you sleep at one night? But probably not so well. Not so well better now. Haven't been. So the build-up in the last two weeks, it, you know, it's all in your head. And then once it's out of your head and it's real, it's and you've got a team around you rather than it being just you in your own head. And as, as a nervous person that suffers from sort of over-responsibility, yeah. it feels so safe and mm. so strong and such a meant thing. I've always thought... I don't think it's a good or a bad thing. The reason I'm good at my job is because I have anxiety. <laughs> so, so I will think of every single thing that could possibly ever go wrong with something and then make sure it doesn't happen. I thank you for your anxiety. Thank you, I thank myself for my anxiety. Um, and just, what a job, what a job. And, you know, you've been thinking not only of the set, but of the lighting, what the lighting hangs from, the toilets, the, the dressing toilets, rooms, the, bins, the, the security, yeah, everything. Yeah. What a... What a mind. I just want to get people in now. I know where they're here and they're all gasping I was thinking that last night, that actually 
I'll be probably watching the audience more on the first night than I am on back yeah. here because I'm still there. And I haven't seen the show at all, so I'm really excited. Oh, you've got a treat in store. Okay. But thank, thank you. Thank you. It's fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Bye. Bye. Who are you and what do you do? Um, my name's Sophia Khan and I am doing wardrobe for Mallory Towers. <laughs> which is really exciting. Um, I just switched on the microphone because we've just been talking about hair. Tell me what we've been talking about. Uh, we've been talking about braids. Uh, we've been talking about um, one of the actors' hair. Um, and what we're going to do with it, exciting times. Yeah, so Azuka Hoyle, who's got um, amazing braids, and I don't, um, we're also thinking, we don't want to change that, but we also want to give a little hint of period. So we're talking about what we can do with them, and you're like an expert, aren't you? Um, yeah, well, <laughs> it's a bit weird calling yourself an expert. I think you are. Um, yeah, so I, I specialise in Afro-Caribbean hair um, and textured hair. So we're going we're gonna to have a go and hopefully achieve a look that fits perfect for Azuka and the character, Daryl. Which is great, because I feel like the whole show is sort of reaching back in time and forwards in time, so I'm really happy for it to have a contemporary flavour. But yeah, I want a trim. You want to trim? You want to have it all cut off? Um, I think it'll look great. It'll look great really short, blunt it, so it's almost like a blunt bob, but with braids. And I think that's that's the beauty about, about braids, working with braids, is you can literally do almost anything and achieve a lot of different hairstyles. I know, I wish I had them. Although I had them <laughs> once, but that's another story. Anyway, so you're with the show, aren't you, on tour? Yes, I am. And what are your duties on tour? Um, it's washing, lots of washing. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say something a bit more glamorous. <laughs> um, my duties are costume maintenance and hair. So I'll be doing hair and costume um, for the, I'm not sure how long the tour is actually. For the six week tour six I weeks. after this run. Yeah, for the six weeks. But it's you're backstage as well, aren't you? Yes, I'm backstage doing quick changes, be on stage doing quick changes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm not used to. I'm I not used it. to being on stage at all, so this is going to be a bit strange to me. Have we got you in a gym slip? <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> oh, I owe you, don't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I always think that you, in, in your capacity as wardrobe and hair and dress dresser, sort of at the really heart, the absolute heart of a piece of theatre, because it's where people are most vulnerable yeah. and also where the transformation happens. Yeah, and I think as well, because we're, we're kind of... We're kind of incognito in a way because we're kind of here, there, and everywhere. Um, so people overlook wardrobe a lot, but we're yeah, we we work closely with the with the actors, um, and we're kind of like the mum, I think, of the of the tour, because a lot of people come to wardrobe just to have a cup of tea, a gossip, or a natter, or a cry, and they usually go to wardrobe just for a cuddle. So we we are like the mum <laughs> the tour. And on that, I'm going to leave it. Thank, Thank you. you. And here we are a couple of days later with some of the cast and our ASM, assistant stage manager, Charlie, on top of the set as they try and work out the cliff top rescue. Um, so what have you been doing, Rose? Hanging off the top of the set with a harness. Are we allowed to say that? And hanging and just working out how we're going to do that and then maybe a few of us hanging. Um, yeah, it's exciting. It's high, isn't it? Yes, yeah, really high. But it's, it's good, it's fun. 
What are you doing, Charlie? I am climbing up the set and then trying to pretend that I'm not on top of the set <laughs> to keep the illusion of Mary Lou falling off a cliff. So flipping them. Quite a high bun, and that's peeking over the top. I have some very tight French plaits, apparently, to keep my hair level down <laughs> below the level of the Ooh, set. One of those puppeteers. What are those full body suits? Yeah, puppeteer like a suit, ones. Suit, suit. Black. Yeah. Or grey to match our set. Yeah. That would be good. Be so we've got um, Rochelle as Mary Lou hanging off, falling off the clifftop. Then what do you do? Um, Daryl tries to save her, so she climbs climbs up the cliff, yeah. and then they think they're gonna they're gonna get her. She almost gets her, and then alas, Mary Lou pulls her down, and they're both stuck hanging from the cliff. So now we've got two girls hanging from a cliff, and then what happens? And then Bill pops over the clifftop, takes both of them, <laughs> and holds single on, strength. Um, and tries to reassure them that they're not all all going to fall to their deaths. Yeah. But no one's sure. No, and I'm not sure at the no, moment as well, no can I say? <laughs> Turning the passenger shed at Bristol Temple Meads into a theatre for the summer was a bonkers idea. Not only did we have the challenge of making a whole new musical, we now also had the challenge of making a whole new venue with all the problems and challenges that go with it. But in the face of such challenges, theatre people are at their best. All experts in their chosen field they are able to come together and work towards a common aim to get the show up and open on the exact date and time we said it would. And at 7.30pm on July the 19th, 2019, Mallory Towers at the Passenger Shed was born. I can't quite believe it, but we did it. Next week, we will rehearse during the day and perform to audiences at night in what we call previews, refining each moment until our play is as good as we can get it. Press night is on Thursday, when the critics turn up and mark our hard work. I can't lie. It's impossible not to be a little bit nervous. So many people have put so much into this. Everything matters. Mallory Towers matters. And caring this much can make you feel a bit vulnerable at times. But it's worth it. It is so, so worth it. Back to school this summer with Enid Blyton's Mallory Towers, live on stage at the Passenger Shed Bristol. Join Daryl, Mary Lou and friends for midnight feasts and thrilling adventures as they discover what the world has in store for them. The new show from director Emma Rice and the creators of Wise Children and Brief Encounter, Mallory Towers is at the Passenger Shed right next to Bristol Temple Mead Station from the 19th of July. Book now at bristololdvic.org.uk.